what we are increasingly understanding is that sleep is the absolute foundation of everybody's physical and mental health, and that is even more true for children and young people. Welcome to another episode of PSHE Talks. I'm Sam Harvey and I'm joined by Jenny Fox, one of our secondary subject specialists. Hello, Jenny. Hello, nice to be here. Uh, also, great to have with us today two sleep specialists from the Department of Children's Sleep Medicine at Evelina London Children's Hospital. Hi, I'm Charlie Tyak. I'm a clinical psychologist in the sleep team. Thanks for inviting me on. Hi, and I'm Mike Farker. I'm a consultant in sleep medicine at Evelina London. Excellent. Well, uh, hopefully a lot of you now have uh, had a chance to look at our sleep factor lessons, like key stage two, three and four. Um, so we created these lessons in conjunction with uh, both Michael and Charlie. So we wanted to invite them in today to discuss the wider issues around sleep deprivation in young people and to promote these new lessons. Um, so, Michael, if you could contextualise the issue for us, that'd be great. So I think the reason that we wanted to do this work is that We've always known that sleep is important, um, and we clearly have a, an interest in that. What we are increasingly understanding is that sleep is the absolute foundation of everybody's physical and mental health, and that is even more true for children and young people. Um, the more that we understand about how much sleep affects kids' ability to uh, function in the daytime, uh, the more we uh, really focus on trying to get sleep right. From an education point of view, if you don't get a good night's sleep, you're not able to learn well the next day. If you don't get a good night's sleep after you've uh, been in school, you won't remember what you've learnt as well the next day. Um, sleep deprivation also affects kids' emotional stability. So kids who haven't had a good night's sleep are going to be more impatient, more irritable, more short-tempered the next day. So it affects how they interact in school as well. So when we're thinking about children's learning, sleep is really important. Um, we know that uh, it's difficult for people working in departments like ours to reach all of the children that we would love to be able to do. So we were very keen to leap at the opportunity to work with the PSHE Association to build this in, to try and get those really basic, simple points about sleep into the school curriculum. And what we're hoping is that if we get it in at the beginning, that by the time they get to be teenagers, when sleep is often even more difficult, that they'll at least have the knowledge to do it. We're also hoping that they'll teach their parents mm. a few things about sleep as well uh, as we go along. Excellent, thank you for that. So Jenny, the Sleep Factor lessons, um, perhaps you'd like to give us an overview of the lessons because you were involved heavily uh, in their creation. Yeah, so there are three lessons altogether in the Sleep Factor pack. Uh, one is for Key Stage 2 students, one for Key Stage 3 and then one for Key Stage 4. When we spoke with Mike and Charlie, we were really keen to try to get this spiral approach so that, as we mentioned, we embed good habits early. Mm. Um, so we thought it was a really important topic to revisit um, with added complexity at each key stage and it gives teachers still some flexibility about what year group they might teach each of the lessons in at each key stage. As we mentioned, we also hope in particular the key stage two lesson will really hope to help to promote discussion at home with parents about bedtime routines. So the resources are available under the Resources and Curriculum tab on the PSHE Association website. Members can search for these resources either by key stage or under the theme of healthy lifestyles or just by typing sleep factor into the search bar. Um, the link is also available in the podcast description below. And the downloadable folder contains all three lessons with all of the resources and a teacher guidance document that gives some really helpful background subject knowledge for teachers before they deliver the lessons. So I just wanted to go back to the draft statutory guidance, uh, Jenny, and just talk a bit more about how uh, these lessons on sleep help feed into the health education aspect. 
we were really delighted actually to see in the health education se segment a focus on sleep. So it says the importance of sufficient good quality sleep for good health and how a lack of sleep can affect weight, mood and ability mm -hmm. to learn. So when we designed these lessons we wanted to make sure that they covered all of those aspects. So interesting there that the DfE are kind of framing the issue of sleep within mental health which I think is a really positive uh, way of framing it. But what's your analysis of that, uh, Charlie? Yeah, so um, we're, we obviously understand the really strong link between good sleep and good mental health. Um, I guess on the flip side, sometimes we meet people who get so concerned about getting good quality sleep that it actually kind of undermines the quality of their sleep. Yeah, they're trying so 22 hard. almost. Yeah, so I guess what we're saying is in our, in our lessons, these are good habits but don't try too hard mm. to be sleeping because that can then build into another... We, we uh, live in quite an obsessive culture as yeah. well, don't we? I mean, people are on Strava and, and similar yeah. apps, measuring their exercise the whole time, monitoring themselves. Yeah. I don't think young people have ever been so conscientious about their, their own health. Yeah. And that obviously has its benefits, but with those, there are certain drawbacks. Um, yeah. Is that something you, you come across in, in your Absolutely. practice more now, would you say, than yeah. uh, in years previously? So the question often comes up is, oh, is it good that I'm tracking my sleep with this app or that app or this device? And generally, it, that seems to go hand in hand with an over-focus on sleep. Um, and it can be counterproductive also um, a lot of the apps purport to be able to tell you stuff about your sleep, but there is no way uh, for them to actually know. So um, oh, it's interesting. Yeah, so in, if, if someone has insomnia, we would usually do a couple of weeks of looking at the quantity and times of their sleep, but then that's pretty much it. Um, and then we'd make a plan from that point. Mm. Kind of tracking it permanently can be... And I think that's the great thing about the strategies in these lessons. They are uh, simply strategies. They're not being marketed as problem solvers mm. at all. And it's something that hopefully young people can, can pick up and, and work with and, and develop themselves. The, um, the data that's coming through from adults is exactly what Charlie says, that if you are somebody who constantly tracks your sleep, the most likely outcome is it will worsen the quality of your sleep, not improve it. Um, what we try and encourage both with the patients that we're seeing in clinic but also through uh, what we're trying to do with the PSHE lessons is to think about sleep with a kind of flexible consistency. You need a degree of routine to sleep mm. but if you start to over-focus on that, as Charlie says, it becomes a problem. So it's knowing where your, the boundaries for good sleep are but then also knowing that you've got a little bit of latitude mm. around that and not worrying too much if things don't go perfectly every night. So lessons really are a great way for, for teachers to hit that point head on. Yeah, absolutely. And we were concerned it might be something where teachers felt a bit of a less confident. It might mm. be something they don't currently have in their curriculum um, under healthy lifestyles. So we hope these lessons really support teachers to build their confidence in delivering that area. That relationship between sleep and weight is one that often confuses people a little bit. Um, but we are increasingly understanding that if you are not getting the right amount of good quality sleep, it changes the hormones that regulate your appetite and hunger. It makes you feel more hungry. It makes you choose foods that are going to make you gain weight more. So you're much more likely to want crisps and chocolates. Um, and it means that sleep deprivation in children is potentially a really important risk factor for the seriousness of the problem of childhood obesity. It also means combining a few of the things that we've said. I think the idea of a daily mile in the morning, get the kids out, walking around the playground um, in the natural light, Good for their sleep, good exercise, helps obesity, perfect. <laughs> I would have hated that as a teenager. Yeah. <laughs>
Well, that's the, that's the kind of problem, really, isn't it? It's finding that middle ground between yeah. what's acceptable um, as a sacrifice to young yeah. people. Yeah. Um, so I guess we often think about motivation is often framed socially as a tank that fills up and then you spend it on a thing that you probably don't want to do. Um, whereas we like to think about motivation as something that you always have, but it just gets focused on different things. So what we're trying to do is say to people, look, use that reserve of motivation to just kind of shift to doing slightly more healthy stuff. We know that making huge, drastic changes often isn't sustainable. So it's more about just shifting the habits and saying, this thing is probably slightly better for you than this thing, and just moving towards that. Um, and we hope that that is kind mm. of going to result in lasting shifting of behavior. Mm. Really interested, actually, Charlie, because uh, your role involves uh, dealing with often the worst case scenario for sleep in, in young, young people. So yeah. what are, what, what's the kind of effectiveness of introducing these strategies early on? Yeah, no, that's a really good question. So um, I guess our perception of young people's sleep might be kind of a bit skewed because we meet people who mm. have significant sleep difficulties. And then there's a much wider population of people who also could optimise their sleep a little bit. Um, and what we're hoping is that just by getting this information out there, there's so much competing for people's time, uh, so much kind of uh, competing with bedtime. It just kind of forefronts sleep again, explains why it's useful and important to um, get good sleep. Um, and yeah, Mike's talked about the mm. kind of physical, uh, sorry, the mental benefits and the health benefits, but we also know that it can improve sporting prowess. And it even, um, so people, when they're asked to rate other people's level of attractiveness, the people who are better slept tend to be rated more highly. So um, there's a kind of incentive there, we hope, for everyone uh, <laughs> to, to pick. That was certainly said, I think, yeah. uh, to most <laughs> listeners. Uh, and Jenny, you've spoken about the Key Stage 2 lessons. Um, how is it that the Key Stage 3 and Key Stage 4 lessons build on the learning uh, that's established in Key Stage 2? Yeah, so Key Stage 2 is very much, as we said, about those simple tips to get good quality mm. sleep. And it actually particularly looks at how sleep patterns can change at the start of puberty or during adolescence um, to set young people up for those changes that might be occurring at Key Stage 2. Building on this at Key Stage 3, the lessons consider how the transition to secondary school can affect sleep. So looking at the new demands of secondary school education and new routines that young people might be taking part in and how they can maintain their healthy sleep habits throughout those changes uh, to secondary school. And then at Key Stage 4, the focus is primarily on how sleep can promote well-being um, and its potential impact to also support academic achievement. Um, one of the things we found when we spoke to schools a lot was that if students were getting any teaching about sleep at all, it was normally right at the last minute of year 11 to try and support them just before their exams. And actually, that was a little bit too late. Mm. So what we hope is that this Key Stage 4 lesson could be used at the start of year 11 or even in year 10 so that those sleep patterns are embedded and therefore have a more sustainable impact. Excellent. Um, what are the key differences that you two find um, in, in your roles between kind of younger children who are having sleep issues and, and older, the older end of the spectrum, I suppose, key stage four. So I think one of the really important points about that is that there are natural changes in how we sleep as we go through adolescent years. 
And, and actually, adolescence is a really vulnerable time for sleep because well-meaning adults think they know all the answers for how teenagers should sleep. Um, and actually, they get it wrong most of the time. Um, and we teach on sleep for teachers, for parents, for paediatricians. And we give lists of rules and recommendations that schools would give out and say, right, do you think these are good ideas or bad ideas? And they all say, yeah, this is great. And actually, most of the time, it's really bad advice because it sounds sensible, but actually, it's not how teenage brains work. So a big part of what we're hoping to do with the, the Key Stage 3 and 4 lessons is also educate teachers um, about how those changes in sleep occur. The big ones, um, so teenagers, the time that they are able to get to sleep actually shifts later. So where adults will get that sleepy signal from your brain you know, around about 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock at night maybe, for most teenagers that comes about an hour or two later. Which means if you're telling a teenage, teenager with well intentions go to bed at 9 o'clock because you need sleep, they're not sleepy then, they just get frustrated and bored, they go on their phones, which are bad for sleep, um, and they don't get sleep. They need, on average, there's a big range of normal, but they need, on average, around about nine and a half hours mm. of sleep. And that's a big theme in uh, the lessons as well. There's an activity called Myth Busting, mm. isn't there, Jenny? Mm. Um, perhaps you'd like to just talk about that a bit for us. Yeah, absolutely. Like any good PSHE lesson, all of the lessons start with a baseline assessment activity. So that's about finding out what young people already know or think they know about sleep before the lessons begin. And that helps the teacher to kind of pitch the learning to the right sort of level of what the students need. So for Key Stage 3, it is that fact myth quiz where we're kind of doing lots of myth busting around what kind of habits might be good or bad for getting to sleep. Um, in Key Stage 2, it's a draw and write activity, so pupils are asked to draw a person preparing for a good night's sleep, including lots of the factors that they think might be helpful, like talking about their mood, the type of environment they're in, the type of routine they might have done just before bedtime. So, so two common themes uh, in the lessons when we're kind of looking at um, diagnosing why sleep issues might, might be in the fold are screen device use and caffeine. So Jenny, do you have any direct experience of this from your teaching days? Yeah, it's certainly the sort of thing that we became quite worried about in the school that I was teaching in. We would see lots of young people arriving to school with a can of caffeinated mm. drink in their hands, having drunk several on the way to school already, making them their behaviour quite erratic when they got to school, but also they were obviously trying to compensate for a lack of sleep, which was a real concern. And there are dips throughout the day then, I assume, as well, when the energy level kind of drops. And Michael, perhaps you have something to add on, on that. Uh, so with caffeine, um, as Jenny says, the, the kids are coming in, they're sleep deprived. So they're using caffeine to try and get around that. And they get this kind of short term benefit of that. Caffeine wears off. It doesn't get rid of sleep. So if you need sleep, it rebounds back again when the caffeine wears off. And, and as you were kind of saying, that you then get all the negative effects of caffeine, irritability, short effects. And um, it also then stops you sleeping well the next night, which then means you get less good quality sleep, which means you're more tired the next day. So it ends up in this vicious circle. There's also, exactly as you said, though, there's a natural variation. So the time that we're very aware of um, is the kind of the after lunch dip, mm -hmm. um, where mm. actually everybody feels a bit more sleepy. And if you're already sleep deprived, then it means that your ability to pay attention and concentrate in lessons at that point is going to be even less. So, yeah, we encourage, it can be difficult sometimes because you have to break that circle, but we certainly encourage people not to use caffeine. It tends to be more negative overall than positive. And you'd hope that maybe... Um the actions by the government with uh, things like the sugar tax might go some way towards addressing this. But I mean, I went to the shops this morning and you could still buy energy drinks for under 40p, which isn't a lot, really. I, I think um, it's going to take a long time it for is that to change. Take more. So we saw it you know, for the last 30 years, the attitude to alcohol mm. in the country with adults changed, but it took a long time to do it. I think we're just at the beginning of changing that relationship with teenagers and energy drinks in particular. Mm. 
Um, and with screen time, Michael, is this is this a relatively new thing? Is this because uh, portable media now uh, is kind of held by every child, it, whether it's a tablet or it's a phone, and it's, it's being able to take that screen in bed, use it for, for lots of different things, for the kind of things that you would have needed uh, you know, a big computer for maybe 20 years ago, and now that's at uh, young people's fingertips. Do you think that in a way that the, uh, the issue has been caused by technology and, and by various kind of innovations in that field? I think it's definitely contributed to, I think there probably has been a change in the quality of children's sleep over the last generation or so. I think the amount of sleep they get is probably not that much different, to be honest. Mm. Um, but that fact that almost everybody now has a phone or a gadget in their bed at the end of the day, mm. um, and these have a very direct biological effect on the sleep. So they are sending signals to the brain that basically is telling your brain that you should still be awake, which means it's more difficult to get to sleep. And when you do get to sleep, the quality of sleep is less good. They also have a bit of a psychological um, uh, role. So if you are you know, really engaged in watching the latest series of Netflix, then you just keep watching and keep watching. Um, that bit maybe hasn't changed that much. So when I was a kid, I was under the covers with a torch reading the book. <laughs> again, so that hasn't changed. Sure. But yeah, it's the, the direct effect. Um, so although the overall advice about screen device at the moment is quite balanced, mm. um, the one bit that everybody agrees on is that children and teenagers in particular shouldn't have these devices in the bedrooms and we should all be trying not to use them for the hour before bed because they have a very negative potential effect on sleep. And hopefully it's experiential, Jenny, as well. Hopefully when young people experience the benefits of good sleep, it will encourage them to continue those habits um, as they get older. Yeah, absolutely. Certainly in terms of screen time, one of the things I heard recently was that the peak time for getting likes on Instagram is to put your post <laughs> up between 8 and 10pm wow. on a Sunday evening. <laughs> so yeah. there must be something there about young people's habits in terms of when they're using their phones. And, and that's setting you up for the week when you come into the classroom, isn't it? Sun Sunday night, you know, you get in on that Monday morning and that's going to make or break your week in some cases. Absolutely. And if we can start to shift all of young people's habits away from using their phones at that time, then hopefully that will become a quieter time to get receive a your really likes. really important point about that, Phil, <laughs> is that if you were a teenager and you're parents and teachers are getting at you and saying fold out of your bed and all that and then you see your parents still doing the same thing then actually that doesn't work so one of the things that we hope that the lessons encourage is that this is not just about the children and teenagers sleep habits it's also about parents thinking about their sleep habits as well and they need to get their phones out of their bedroom too Absolutely, and it's role modelling, isn't it? I, since planning the lessons, Completely. I have now put my yeah. phone outside of my bedroom when I go Need to sleep. by parents. <laughs> um, Charlie, you were, we were speaking before, before we came in, and Charlie was telling me a really interesting story um, about sleeping young people in Japan. Yeah, so um, I used to be... I, I was on the JET programme, so I taught in Japanese schools for a couple of years um, from ages about five to the end of junior high school, so kind of basically the span of these lessons. Um, and what was quite interesting, I guess they have quite a different culture in relation to sleep. So one, it's completely acceptable to sleep pretty much anywhere at any time. Uh, but also they go to school during the day. Um, and the framing of that is you go to school to learn to be Japanese. Um, and then they go to school from about six to about midnight is the cram school, Juku. Um, and they go there and it, that's to pass exams. So they learn how to pass kind of multiple choice exams. Um, so really often quite sleep deprived young people. And um, so I had a daily case study sometimes where I would be rotated on to teach the same lesson 
across the school day. And usually, first couple of lessons, people were great, really alert, active, engaged. And then after lunch, um, often they'd had a big bowl of rice and then gone out and been running around. They'd come back in, they'd be asleep. Uh, timing of things can make a huge difference. Um, but also from a personal perspective, it was good to know that there were certain times of day when people would be engaged mm. with my lessons. Mm. <laughs> Being timetabled into a period five on a Friday is yeah. not good for any teacher. Yeah. <laughs> There's some really interesting um, data from the Mexican school system where the system is so overcrowded that they can't actually get all of the pupils into a normal school day. So the teenagers randomly get allocated to either be morning pupils mm. or afternoon pupils. Wow. And when you look at the afternoon pupils, they tend to do better in exams. They tend to have lower rates. Because they're getting more yeah, sleep. Lower rates of anxiety and depression. And, and it's, it's the timing is, you know, so teenagers all shift slightly later. So they're, they're not morning people. They're all afternoon and evening and night people. So they just do better. So, gentlemen, what three tips uh, would you give? So I guess one for me would be try and get as much daylight, uh, natural light, as possible. And if possible, as soon after waking up, get at least 20 minutes of natural light. Uh, because we know um, that that in itself can outweigh a lot of the impact of um, the kind of artificial light that uh, we're exposed to mm. after sundown. Because it's everywhere now, that light, isn't it? It's yeah. kind of more, more than it used to be. Yeah. Um, and it might seem counterintuitive, but getting that natural light can help you sleep. Um, it makes a big difference. Excellent. Uh, yeah, so that would definitely be one of my three. Um, my other two would be consistent routine. So aim to go to bed at roughly the same time each day and to wake up at the same time each day, which is a bit of a killer at the weekend, I'm afraid. Mm. We usually say no more than an hour later than your normal wake time at the weekend. Um, so consistent routine with a bit of flexibility, uh, natural light exposure and phones out of bedrooms, I'm afraid. Uh, no screens on the phone uh, in the bedrooms and uh, the hour before bed, electronic curfew and aim to do things that help you to relax and wind down, whatever works for you. Excellent. Uh, I know in the lessons, um, I think all three lessons at the end have some uh, section on signposting. Um, it'd be great if we could just discuss quickly here where, where teachers can maybe turn to if, if young people... They're still struggling with sleep after introducing those strategies. Um, so, depending on what the issues are, um, so if uh, children, teenagers, families think their children have definite problems with their sleep, then the GP is often a good first port of call. Um, there is good information on the NHS Choices website, so basic core information about sleep for different ages. Great, we'll link that in the, in the description as well. Um, another website that I really like uh, is one from Australia, actually. Um, uh, it's called the Raising Children website. Uh, it's run by the Royal Children's Hospital in Melbourne, and it's got some really great advice for just general parenting tips, actually, but they've got really good sleep information on there that helps to support parents and families. Uh, another resource that I think is really helpful, and again, specifically for teenagers, and again, it touches on a point that you mentioned earlier, that, that kind of idea of normalising idea of mental health. Um, there's a great book called Mind Your Head uh, by Juno Dawson, who actually used to be a PSHE teacher, uh, is now a young Excellent. adult author, uh, and she's written this book with a, a clinical psychologist, and it is a really brilliant, practical guide. Uh, one of the things that we know absolutely affects sleep is if you're dealing with lots of stresses and worries and everything in the daytime, your sleep's going to suffer. So this book is a great guide. We recommend it in clinic all the time. Excellent, and, and stories are a really useful uh, tool in PSHE, aren't they, Jenny, for contextualising information for young people uh, and helping to localise the learning. 
Yeah, absolutely. We use case studies and scenarios with characters quite often for young people to be able to explore the issues but without personalising mm. it to their own situation. So that's certainly something that we can see throughout the lessons and particularly in Key Stage 3 and 4. It's lots of exploring scenarios and challenges that other young people mm. or characters are facing and the students give advice or explore what some of the factors might be that impact on their sleep. Absolutely. I think one thing that often surprises people when they come to our clinic is that, you know, so we make diagnosis of the rarest, most complicated sleep diseases you can imagine. And yet the basic of treatment is getting these foundation principles right. If these principles aren't right, it doesn't matter what the diagnosis is. It doesn't matter what fancy medicine we come up with. It is so much more challenging to get things better. So it's really about making that point that for everybody, these really, and it, uh, and it comes across as really boring, you know, go to bed on time, don't be on your phone, get lots of exercise, all the rest of it. But actually when it comes to sleep, these are the mm. things that really, really matter. I think that's a great point, and it's about decontaminating this message mm. in the classroom, isn't it? Like go to bed early, it's, it's got pangs of dread for a lot yeah. of young people. And if you're doing something that you enjoy, you don't want to stop doing it and then going to bed. So I suppose for parents at home, the difficulty is actually building a routine where they're able to give young people enough time to then yeah. settle into sleep mode. It's why one of the key emphasis in it is that we try very hard to avoid giving absolutes so we don't say the right bedtime for this age mm. is this time or the right length of sleep for this age is this. It's about being able to work out how much sleep you need and what your right timings for sleep are and then getting that right. It has to be that kind of individualised thing, otherwise it just gets frustrating. And that's a strand really of um, a wider part of PSHE, which is younger people taking responsibility for their own health and their own well-being. Yeah, absolutely. They need that knowledge, that foundation of knowledge to understand what impact it has, but also to be able to develop their own skills and strategies and attitudes even to value sleep as, an Im as something important and therefore to prioritise it in their own routines. And as you say, take responsibility for getting sleep themselves. Since we have a really limited capacity, unfortunately, to go into schools and be teaching ourselves, we would love to do more of it. Mm. But something you said earlier, and so I do teaching for sixth forms. And the very first time I did it, it was for the upper six, just before they were about to do A-levels. <laughs> and they all, at the end of it, went, this is amazing, this is brilliant, we get this. Now we understand why it's so important, but why were you not here a year ago telling us this? So mm. hopefully so, that's what the lessons yeah. are doing, it's putting putting that knowledge in the hands of teachers who can then empower yeah. young people to help their own sleep. Well, that's excellent. I think that's all that we have time for today. Um, so I'm going to end it there. But uh, I think we'll put all of those uh, excellent organisations that you mentioned, Michael, and, and the book as well in the description. So we'll link that in. Uh, and join us next time for another episode of PSHE Talks. Thank you.